Hello, hello. Welcome to the VHive, your go-to podcast for all things women's intimate health. I'm your host, Hannah, here to discuss the many questions you've always had about your body but never wanted to ask. Whether it relates to sex, chronic pain, trauma, relationships, healing, hormones, spirituality, and so much more, we are normalizing taboos, breaking down the complexities of the female body, and providing you with the information you need to take your health into your own hands. Okay, you guys, before we get into the episode, I want to tell you about my new favorite product that I have been using every single night before bed. It is unbelievable. It's a magnesium supplement called Electrolyte Balance. Basically, it's a bottle of liquid and you pour only two teaspoons of it in a glass of water at night and it makes this magnesium drink that works wonders. A few of the benefits that I have noticed, when I say noticed, I mean this is literally the only supplement where I've seen immediate results. So my sleep is amazing. It helps me fall asleep fast and stay asleep, which is great. It also helps with digestion. Oh my God. In the morning, the systems are working beautifully to say the least. And muscle relaxation is another big one. I definitely feel relaxed and calm and I cannot even tell you how amazing this magnesium is. And you don't need to take it at night. You could take it after a workout. You could take it in the morning, you know, really whenever your body needs magnesium, but I love to take it at night. Okay. So you may be wondering what is different about this magnesium supplement than all of the other magnesium supplements that exist. Well, it is something quite important. Electrolyte balance is a combination of magnesium and calcium bicarbonate. These are complex hydrated electrolyte salts that exist only in water under very specific conditions. So what that means is that most of the water we drink lacks these minerals and the magnesium powder and tablet supplements are not in bicarbonate form, so they are not bioavailable, which means they are basically useless to your body. According to Mount Sinai, 90% of Americans have a magnesium deficiency. This magnesium bicarbonate replenishes the body's magnesium reserves and provides the body with electrolyte salts, which reduce insomnia, headaches, and inflammation and helps with memory, focus, and relaxation. I cannot recommend this product enough. I wouldn't be sharing it with you all if I didn't fully believe in it and see the benefits from it myself. So all of the VHive listeners can receive 10% off their order of electrolyte balance by using the code THEVHIVE at checkout on www.livepristine.com. That's spelled www.l-i-v-e-p-r-i-s-t-i-n-e.com. Two quick things I want to mention. When you go to this website, scroll down and you will see the electrolyte balance bottle. That is the product you want to click on. Also, the shipping is expensive, so my recommendation would be to order a six-pack of the bottles. That's what I did. This way, you will save money on future shipping fees when you want to go reorder a second bottle, and those six bottles will probably last you up to a year. So that is my tip, and I hope you all love this product as much as I do. Please let me know what you think, and without further ado, let's get into this week's episode. Oh, and one more quick thing. If you have not already checked out the limited edition Valentine's Day VHive candle, definitely go do so now. 
It's pink, it smells amazing, it's non-toxic, made with soy wax and plant-based fragrances. It is such a good self-care gift to either yourself or anyone you love. So you can purchase a candle on the VHive website, which is www.thevhive.com. That's www.thevhive.com. Today, I am here with Amanda Fisher. She is a doctor of physical therapy and the owner of Empower Your Pelvis, a pelvic floor physical therapy clinic in Kansas City, Missouri. She's also the owner of many pelvic floor issues herself and loves bringing awareness to pelvic health. She enjoys educating people about pelvic health issues and helping them achieve their goals. Thank you so much for being here this morning. I'm so excited to chat with you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. I've got, and I, I mentioned this to you before we started recording, but I got so many requests um, from my listeners to have you on the podcast. So I've been trying to get guests, you know, based on feedback from my listeners. So you're like the first person that I really reached out to based on requests from people. So this is exciting and I'm excited for everyone to hear this and hear you. <laughs> that just blows my mind. But you have a really good following and I was also telling you that if for anyone listening, if you haven't looked at Amanda's Instagram, it's called Empower Your Pelvis and you have the funniest videos. I was just watching this morning before we started recording and I was laughing like I was just, but like in, in the best way. I was like, these are so good, so funny. It's really Thank hard you. to do that on Instagram. So yeah, good job. Thank you so much. Okay, so first let's just have you explain what drew you to this field, how you got started in this line of work. You said you have had your own issues with pelvic pain and then pelvic floor stuff. So I assume that was definitely a big part of what led you here, but I want to hear you tell your story. Absolutely. Thank you. Um, so I got into physical therapy. I knew I wanted to be a physical therapist since I was in high school and dealt with my own like sports-related injuries. Mm-hmm. And then while in grad school is when I... I started training for half marathons, like six a year. It was ridiculous. So um, knowing what I know now, like, okay, my pelvic floor was most likely really tight from that and probably stressed from grad school. Um, But I was peeing my pants. And at the time, Runner's World magazine had listed, like, you're not a true runner unless you're peeing. Wow. And being in the PT field, knowing that how muscles are supposed to function, it just didn't make sense. Like you're supposed to be a strong athlete, but yet I was peeing my pants. And you were like in your late twenties at the time? Early twenties. Early twenties. Twenty one, twenty two. I mean super early. We're typically peeing your pants um at that time back in the late uh this is like two thousand eight, two thousand nine. Um, you know, you you were peeing your pants if you had kids. That was the rumor, you know, that kind of went around like, well, you've Mm -hmm. had children, so that's why this is normal. Um, And I hadn't had kids yet. So it was really um, hard for me to understand like, okay, like this shouldn't be happening because I haven't had children. Um, But like to the runner side of things, this is perceived to be okay. And mentally it was really um, hard to me for me to take in Um, kind of embarrassing. Mm -hmm. And then at that same time uh, I developed pain with sex and that was also, and I'm sure this is still happening um, to this day, but being told, like, go have a glass of wine or two, you know, and think just relax and things will be fine. Um, but again, I was like 21, 22, not a huge fan of wine at that time, um, but I would try it. But then I would get too tipsy where then intercourse wasn't even happening, you know. Yeah. 
And for me, like dealing, and I will still, I don't want to say nightmares, but I can still go back to that time frame of laying on the bed and feeling it feel like razor sharp knives just jamming in with intercourse, you know, with penetration. And it just was so uncomfortable. And I remember holding back tears and my husband was so sweet. But I just remember thinking every time, like something is wrong with me and this shouldn't be happening according to Cosmopolitan, you know, sex should be fantastic and orgasmic and it wasn't happening for me um lo and behold we went to a uh, combined sections meeting it's a meeting for physical therapy um people once a year and i drew the short straw to go to this meeting on i think it was like orgasms 101 wait so was, were you already a pt at the time i was this was probably my first i was in school a year and a half um into pt and so I was newly married in PT school. I went off to this combined sections meeting and myself and one other girl from class, we had to go to every um, meeting. You know, we had to show our faces as our, our school. So we got chosen to go to this 8 a.m. class on orgasms. We went and I remember sitting in that meeting and thinking, oh, my God, I think they're talking about me. Like everything they're saying is me. And that's when things started to kind of shift, like, hold up, this is in my profession. This is amazing. Like, I'm going to try to heal myself mm-hmm. you know, while doing this um, and seeing then if there's an opportunity, you know, for, for me to transition from sports med into more of a public um, health side of things. And at that time, it was still called women's health. Mm-hmm. It wasn't really branched out to pelvic health. Um, and so we did. Uh, this actually, my classmate and I were like the two girls uh, classmates to come out of PT school and we're still doing public health. She's doing it in the army and uh, I'm doing it in Kansas city. So it's wow. been a fun journey. That's cool that she's doing it in the army. That's amazing. Yeah. So needed. So needed. Well, um, so I could only imagine how important that is. Wow. Mm-hmm. So, she's a badass. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, okay. So after, after you kind of realized that this was, an area of physical therapy and that this is what you wanted to really focus on in your work. Can you walk us through kind of like the timeline of what you learned and how you were able to implement into your own healing? Yes. Um, so after that, I, myself and the same classmate, Stephanie, we both went and did a uh, a course, a weekend course up in Chicago to get our first training done because at the time they allowed students to do that. And I still think they do that. Um, and then we both did our clinicals before graduating and pelvic health as well. So as I'm learning things in the pelvic health side of how, how I'm treating patients in the clinic, I was trying to implement that on myself. So working through um, diaphragmatic breathing, um, different exercises and stretching, because I was a terrible athlete and I probably still am at some times where like I go do my cardiovascular work and then I stop. Like I don't stretch. I don't do diaphragmatic breathing. I'm a type A personality. Mm-hmm. I am a very busy bee, very efficient in my mind, uh, but I don't, I was terrible at self-care and having to learn and implement more of those techniques into my day-to-day life to really help me focus on my health because my body was talking to me. It was telling me something was wrong and I just wasn't listening and really having to take the time um, to implement more of that into my schedule. Um, So not drinking the wine before intercourse, but learning to go through different stretches, maybe um, utilizing 
things like a TheraWand at the time, um, which was a pl- hard plastic tool. I now love the Intimate Rose ones because they're more silicone based and I mm-hmm. think it feels more natural. Um, but yeah, really getting on a different routine. And then my pelvic floor issues just changed throughout the lifespan of me having children too. So I have, I've had multiple different um, symptoms, I guess. And then pelvic pain always coming back up after postpartum as well. So having to re go back through stretches and exercises and seeing my own pelvic floor physical therapist to help me too. Mm-hmm. So interesting. And I got one, que- I got a few questions from some listeners that I want to ask you at the end, but one of them was in regards to, you know, having three kids while experiencing pelvic pain. But did like, when you, um, I guess we can just answer that now. Why not? Since we're here, yeah. um, the exact question was, you know, were you nervous to start a family because of your pelvic pain? But before you answer that, did you, like, were you able to get most of your symptoms to subside or where were you when you actually started to have a family and have kids? Okay. Great question. Um, at the time, <laughs> was having let me backtrack a little bit when I was having pelvic pain I was on the ring birth control oh okay so I did end up like getting off birth control and went through gosh months of not really having a cycle um I mean sex was painful every single time I ended up giving getting on Clomid probably about five to six months of that to actually get pregnant with our first son because um, that had been probably close to a year after being off birth control before we started any of that and gosh no I I was nervous to get pregnant I was nervous to have intercourse because it was uncomfortable right mm. but then I got more nervous once I got pregnant of like oh my god I'm gonna birth a baby out of a very tight vagina like am I going to tear you know because we see yeah. these patients all the time and I got more fearful of tearing vaginally um but then had to kind of I don't know have a a, I don't know come to Jesus talk I guess with my like okay Amanda like the more fearful and scared you are the more tight your vagina is going to be like we know this Mm -hmm. so we have to start thinking about the positive sides of things um but then I ended up with all c-sections unfortunately I guess Mm -hmm. I don't know about unfortunately but like the fact that as a pelvic PT, you want to birth vaginally, you know, to experience what your patients are. And then uh, my first kiddo was breech. So we ended up with a C-section, um, tried for a VBAC with the second one and that didn't work. So we ended up with another C-section because he was a very large child. And then uh, the third one was, you know, another C-section. So mm-hmm. it was, that was just my, my jam. Um, <laughs> I, but I dealt with the pain with sex after all three of those it was worse after my second because of more of a nerve um a nerve issue of everything just feeling hypersensitive and burning down there and I did not want to be touched and so we had more um communication between my spouse and I um and more like gentle touch soft touch walking him through why things were more hypersensitive down there um so lots of explaining Mm -hmm. and I think that that is such an important part of the process is like the communication between your partner. Can Absolutely. you talk a little bit about how you were able to do that and, and how you did do that? Yeah. Um, and I guess the biggest, like if, if you're not having public pain and you're not knowing what we're talking about here, if you've seen Bridgerton on Netflix, you can see the <laughs> miscommunication between yeah. them. I haven't watched yet, but I I know everyone has except me. (laughs) 
it's just it's total like you think that your your partner knows exactly what you're feeling and then they don't and so you're holding it all inside and feeling guilty and shameful but you can't do that like intercourse is a shared experience you're you have to relax enough to let someone else in so you should be upfront and communicate like hey this is a little uncomfortable um hey do you mind waiting a second or putting yourself in positions where maybe you're more in control where you can allow the insertion to happen on your timeline the depth to happen with your on your timeline where someone else isn't doing it so for instance like I had to learn like, okay, being on top was a better position because I could control the insertion, the depth and the speed. And then if I knew that it was uncomfortable, like I knew diaphragmatic breathing would help lengthen those muscles. So I had to go through like, okay, we're going to pause for a second. I'm just going to breathe a few and see if that would allow the pain to dissipate a little bit. Or I knew contraction and relaxation down there would also increase blood flow and help lengthen the tissue. So I might run through like three to five, what people call Kegels, I call blueberries for my patients. Mm -hmm. Um, But really thinking of like picking up the pelvic floor and putting it all the way back down the same way we would move our arm, getting that lengthening in there so then that something else could come into that space. Um, And it was a lot of trial and error, but a lot of that communication. And had I not spoken up, to my spouse, like he just, he was clueless. Like he was experiencing what I was experiencing. So I, and it was hard to bring that up because I did feel broken. Um, but it helped tremendously on our end as a couple, just even outside of the bedroom, I guess, um, for me to explain what was going on, what I was feeling. And he was way more empathetic. And I mean, he was always a great, always is and was a great, um, partner but like he would start to recognize my face like grimacing and be like okay yeah let's change it up because this isn't working Mm -hmm. so yeah I hope that (laughs) no it does and I think also you know once you were able to communicate and you said this but I'm sure your partner was much more empathetic understanding and even appreciative that you spoke up because Then he could actually be a part of the solution instead of kind of just being there clueless with no idea what you're feeling and no way to help. And obviously he loves you and wants to be able to try and help you. Yes. And that's what we talk a lot about with our our patients as well. Like we we encourage partners to come in. Mm -hmm. That's so smart. That communication piece. Because again, it's not it's not just a you thing. It's a, a two, you know two people to tango type of thing and you've got to have that person come in explain what's going on I like to walk them through like the gentle stretching like this is what it feels like when we're stretching our patients with an internal you know exam for the muscle tissue and if the spouse or partner wants to help with that at home like let's both do that in here so you can get a feel for I want them our patient to communicate with their partner and let them know like, Hey, that's too much. Or yep, that's perfect. That's exactly the pressure that Amanda had. And um, that's what I want you guys to do at home. But then we need to do that in different positions too, because you know, you're not always just laying on your back like you are on the exam table in the office. Mm -hmm. So they get to add in those exercises as homework. And then they might add them in as foreplay as well prior to intercourse to help lengthen that tissue and get it ready. Yeah, that's so good. That's so important. And then one other thing that I want to go back and just add, touch upon, add, add a point to for a second is 
the fact that you had you you know you gave birth to or you got pregnant with your first son even through not you weren't 100% when you decided you wanted to get pregnant like it, it wasn't like everything was perfect but it didn't get in the way of you deciding that you wanted to have a kid and you knew that you could do it even though there was some stuff going on I think that like that's a really important point because I and and I, I want to know your perspective on this but I feel like a lot of people think they can only do something once they are 100% better, such as have a baby. And it right. is possible to have a baby or do or have sex or exercise or do so many things with some sort of a symptom here or there. Like, it, right. it's, you know what I mean? Yep, absolutely. It, I, like going back with it, I guess, like it, I don't know if I've ever been a hundred percent pain free. Um, there have been, you know, times where it's been better now coming forward into my journey about 10 to 11 years, I was recently diagnosed with PCOS, mm-hmm. but that plays a little bit more into like, Oh, okay. Now this pelvic pain kind of makes sense because that's the same of what a similar symptom that we see with our patients. And now it's much more manageable. Um, but it we would go through periods of it being like a nine out of 10 and then learning like, okay, if I keep it at a nine out of 10 pain and we're forcing it, that's when my vagina is like, hell no, you're not coming in here. Like we have to work on what can we do to keep that pain under that threshold where it actually allows penetration to be successful, uh, where I'm not in tears. And there was a lot of training that way to make it feel more comfortable. Um, But yeah, I, again, I don't, in the past, I don't think I was ever a full you know, zero. So yeah, yeah, it's possible. Uh, we definitely talk to our patients like you don't want to, you definitely don't want to push that pain threshold each time, like keep it under a certain level with intercourse or else, yeah, your body's going to definitely put up the guards and not let things happen mm-hmm. and feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. There's and, ways around. Yeah. And then let me ask you, I'm just curious, did you, was your main symptom pain with intercourse or did you have like vulvar symptoms just during the day you know going about your normal life or was it primarily with sex I am definitely I hold stress yeah in my pelvis. yeah me too. Uh, so I get a lot of pelvic cramping mm-hmm. a lot of lower abdominal cramping as well so I would feel like lightning jolts within my crotch um, or the lower abdomen um, and I still had that I used to think it was just stress, um, and it is. If I, if I, I definitely now know like how to prevent it, um, or if I get too busy, I will feel it still. But um, no, it wasn't just with intercourse. Mm-hmm. It was. I definitely like if I had a patient that was <laughs> being more difficult, I could find like my my pelvic floor would definitely be letting me know while I'm sitting there. Oh you know, trying to help it better. So, <laughs> so, okay, you meant what'd you say? It's always talking to me. Yeah. I, I, I can relate. Um, and I'm sure most people listening can as well. So, okay, you mentioned you had three C-sections. And I know that you talk a lot about the importance of pelvic floor PT after having a C-section. You said actually in one of your Instagram posts that there are more shoulder shoulder surgeries, hip surgeries, and knee surgeries each year than C-sections, yet doctors are not sending C-section patients to PT. Yes. 
there are more C-sections than any of the other inpatient orthopedic surgeries. Um, that was a journal that just came out with uh, the Journal of Women's Health through the APTA, so American Physical Therapy Association. Uh, I actually just got that this Friday and was stoked because I've been saying that for years. Um, and I actually worked in a hospital in a corporate setting for a couple of years. And it was so interesting because it that's exactly what we were seeing was like mm-hmm. they were focusing more on the joints and the physical therapy side. But then having myself, I had just come back from my second C-section when I was working in the hospital and realizing like, good golly, we are missing all these people. We are not having physical therapy in the rooms with them. We're not having programs sent home with them for them to get started on something. We are, they're seeing their doctor six weeks post um, childbirth and then like, okay, you're free to go return to sex and exercise when what we haven't even looked at tissue. We haven't retrained it like we would like with a knee patient. We have to retrain the quads. We have to, you know, make sure all the muscles are around the area and in the hip and in the core all working together for stability and function. Yet we weren't doing that to the main source of the core. And it just didn't make sense. Um, and things were different seven years ago with my first baby. But I remember leaving like, okay that was it. Like there's nothing else. And I'm a PT and this is how I'm going to try to rehab. Um, and then that time frame when I was in the hospital would have been after my second kiddo who's five. So this would have been five years ago. Um, and we were still like, just not getting anywhere. So I finally decided, okay, we're going to corporate's not for me because I'm not making change and I want to see change happen a lot faster. We're missing out on a lot of these postpartum women. So I left and then started developing things online um, to help our mamas out. And it's been so fun to see. Um, Last year, we started developing a program here at our clinic called Prehab. So seeing our women during pregnancy to help prep their pelvic floor for childbirth and their core and do full body strengthening. And then when we saw those women postpartum, um, like between two and four weeks postpartum, their muscles had better muscle memory at remembering what to do than anybody we were seeing postpartum who we hadn't seen before. So they're recovery was so much quicker they were getting back to activities faster um and it did depend on if they had a c-section or a grade three four vaginal birth but even our women that were c-section moms i was so surprised at how quickly their muscles were refun- or functioning better postpartum it was incredible That's amazing. Um, but there is something there that we're still kind of missing out on so hopefully that'll that'll get better here in the next couple of years Yes, I hope so. Can you elaborate on like why anatomically someone with a C-section really should go to pelvic floor PT? Like what happens to the body? Typically we think, oh, I had a C-section. I didn't birth vaginally. I, you know, free pass out of jail card, right? Mm -hmm. And your muscles, the pelvic floor muscles are still compromised with pregnancy, with the weight of the baby, you know, postural changes. Um, so your pelvic floor, number one, is typically working differently. Second, you had major abdominal surgery with a C-section. So now we're cutting into the nerves that supply the muscles down there and into the fascia. There's like seven layers of tissue um, from the skin all the way into the uterus. So you are you're dealing with scar tissue from the uterus being sewn up. The bladder sits in front of it. So the bladder can now be compromised with the scar tissue. Um, The nervous system um, has been cut. So it's not going to be firing to those lower abdominal muscles, but either during pregnancy, those muscles were stretched as well. So we're dealing with a two-way system of those things not really working as well. Um, The scar tissue can also pull up on that 
pelvic floor tissue so we can have more high tone in the pelvic floor after a c-section so there's a, a lot going on there and then you've got lymphatic flow that's maybe not moving through as well so women will typically say like i'm more swollen down there or it feels more full underneath the incision um the nervous system itself can become hypersensitive so we really have to work on calming it down so then tissues like um, putting on underwear or jeans or certain pair of leggings aren't bugging that tissue. Um, it's so multifactorial of what plays into it. Um, if we miss out on it, it's just like, it's never too late to rehab, but I just feel like we could prevent things down the road if we started seeing these women earlier. Mm-hmm. Like, even getting on um, a coaching call with them postpartum to kind of discuss how to move their body or how to lift their baby because they're already doing it right within the first couple hours or with a c-section might be 24 hours after they have their baby that they're going to move to stand or 12 hours um, that if we can teach them how to move that tissue sooner and get that nervous system kind of woken up um, I really think that would be more beneficial I mean, it makes so much sense to me, at least, because it's just like a C-section is a huge surgery and like to not have any sort of rehabilitation afterwards just seems crazy. (laughs) I think, honestly, I think the same goes for like a hysterectomy or a bladder or pelvic floor reconstructive surgery. Like it's all muscle tissue. And we, if we don't remind it how to work, it's going to be like any other part in the body too. Like you're going to have tension built up in some areas and you need to stretch that out. Or then we're going to have some muscles working a little bit more than others. And then it's going to develop into, you know, some kind of discomfort or pain down the road. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I really think it, we're missing this, this piece right now. So if you had to give one exercise that anyone can do at home, that you would say is the best easy exercise for your pelvic floor, what would it be? My go-to is diaphragmatic breathing. I feel like this is the one that we miss out on the most. People like to skip over it and just jump to the big stuff, but it's the most important. Um, Your breath is free. It's always with you and you can do it in any position. And I really want people to hone in on that because everybody wants to buy all the programs, Mm -hmm. but start with the breath. The breath will calm down your nervous system which is very helpful to the pelvic floor and any emotions that we hold down there. And it also helps to lengthen it. So you're going to get great mobility, blood flow, circulation, just with breathing. So like postpartum moms, we typically early on too, like we're not sleeping a lot. We're feeding the baby. We're holding the baby a ton. So for them, I'm like, don't even start anything else. Just when you're nursing or feeding the baby, just start with breaths. And it doesn't have to be like 30 minutes of it. Try 10. See how 10 feels. If 10 feels good, then you can start to do a little bit more. But let's start there when you feel like you've mastered that, entering it into your daily routine. Then let's build up on that because that's going to be your biggest, the biggest exercise for you to start with. Mm -hmm. And wait, so can you explain what exactly is diaphragmatic breathing? Yes. So if somebody came into the clinic, we would have them lay down on their back. Their knees would be supported by some pillows or a foam roll. I like to have their hands. We like to look at it a couple different ways. I like to put their hands on um, the outsides of their ribs. 
to start and taking a breath into their ribs and feeling their ribs expand out. And then as they blow out, the ribs will collapse back into the abdomen. They might put their hands on the front of the torso, um, like the front of the ribs and on their back and feeling that kind of lengthen away from each other with breathing in and coming back down. And then if they have um, a C-section scar, they might put their hand on the C-section scar or just on their pubic bone or even the labial tissue. And I want them to feel that breath come in to that area and it'll come like four millimeters it's not a lot into the labial tissue or pelvic floor but then then um, as they exhale that breath should go back out of the body and the pelvic floor should come back up mm-hmm. so we want to feel things expand as they breathe in as they blow out things will go back into the body or like the belly won't be expanding this um anymore mm-hmm. so, so cool. it's very, well, they're not pushing the breath that's probably the biggest thing we see is people try to really push out their abdomen and that's not what we're trying to achieve. Right. Right. Okay, cool. Thank you. And then similarly for people who are working at home and that's pretty much almost all of us now, I feel oh, like, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, just sitting all, I mean, whether you're home or not, you're most likely sitting all day if you're working I guess mm-hmm. if you're a PT, you're, you're not really. But <laughs> <laughs> but if you are at home or sitting all day or, you know, just not able to move and work out as much as you would like to, are there any pieces of advice that you have, things that people can do at home to help alleviate discomfort, whether it's back pain, pelvic pain, you know, any sort of discomfort that they may feel? Yeah, so if our patients are sitting on Zoom calls all day long, um, so this would be like my husband because he's working from home too, things that he has to do is he has alarms set up on his phone to go off every hour just to kind of, if he has a a moment with when that alarm goes off, he might move his pelvis as he's sitting in the chair into pelvic tilts. So he might think like a dog sticking its butt out to wag its tail and then it might go the opposite direction, which he's probably been sitting in, which is a dog tucking its tail between its legs. Not moving his upper torso, just moving the pelvis. So that's gonna help create mobility and blood flow down there. So it's gonna take it out of that tension hold of poor posture. Um, If he's still sitting on a Zoom call, he would work on picking up a blueberry. So for our females, it would be picking up a blueberry with your vagina and then think of putting it all the way back down. Because again, these are things that you can do on Zoom calls that people don't really see you doing. Um, And I usually say about three to five of those working on the put down, Mm -hmm. focusing on that release, the elevator going all the way down. Um, If they're able to get up and go to the bathroom, then they might get down in like a cat cow type of position or laying on their back and throwing their leg over to really stretch out their lumbar spine, but doing something more often because our sitting type of posture that we've all been in in the last year more often really cuts off blood flow and circulation down there. It holds tension in those muscles and we want to create more circulation down there to keep the tissues happy. And if you can think of like your fist, if you squeeze your fist and hold it in a tight, tight fist, eventually you're fist is going to be angry it's going to be cramping it's not going to feel well and if you let it go and kind of move it in a fist and lengthen it back out to spreading the fingers a couple times that feels better and that's what we're doing to our pelvic floor when we're moving it through these exercises Mm -hmm. we're trying to prevent any of that low back pain or cramping in the pelvic floor yeah that's so important thank you for sharing that because i feel like this is 
something that everyone probably needs to incorporate more into their day-to-day routine. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. And um, another question I wanted to ask you, which, you know, I hear a lot from women and I'm sure men feel the same way, is that they're in pelvic floor physical therapy, but they're not feeling like they're making progress with their PT. What would your advice be for this person? Um, A couple different things. One, uh, you don't have to stay with your PT. Sometimes it's good to move PTs to get a fresh look at things. Um, So that's one option. Option two would be to really look at your plan of care, what kind of exercises you're doing, talk to your therapist about um, what you're experiencing and see if there's, if we can change up the plan a little bit. So if you've been doing, you know, X, Y, Z for four weeks and it's not improving, what can, I always say like, let's try something different. Let's do something different and see if that helps the tissue. So that might be something that your PT would want to do as well. So if you, um, I like to look at multi-directional exercises for the pelvis. Um, and I'm really big on functional movements as well. Um, so it might just be implementing a little bit more of that into it as well. Um, but I feel like if we're seeing, if we feel like we've hit a wall here in the clinic, we will sometimes change not all the time, but sometimes we'll be like, okay, why don't you guys, why don't you go try Morgan for a little bit and see if you guys have some improvement or, um, let's, see what all we've been doing at home, have we been doing our exercises as consistently, where can we help you achieve things at home as well? Because coming into us for the of the clinic side may not, we're only seeing our patients once a week and that's not really going to improve symptoms. So like how much are they doing at home too? Mm-hmm. So it's kind of holding them accountable. So yeah. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, I think that's really good advice. And I think that it is so true that you don't, you know, like as you said, if you, you might send one of your patients to a different PT, but even if you're in, at another clinic, you're not at your clinic, let's say, for, for anyone listening, like it's okay if you hear of another physical therapist that you might want to go try after a few months with one person. It's okay to leave them and just, you know, say like, I, I don't know. I don't know what the right thing to say is, but you could just say like, I'm not making, I don't feel like I'm making progress here. Um, mm-hmm. I'm going to make a change and you know, we'll stay in touch. Like it's not a big deal. And pelvic pain, chronic pelvic pain patients, like it's not a quick fix. Those patients that's very long time. It's a long journey. Mm -hmm. Um, and we're looking at least in our clinic, like we're looking at everything multifactorial, like do what's the diet like, do we need to see one of our registered dietitians in the area? Um, are we seeking, um, like mental health therapy. Can we see a counselor or psychologist for that? Um, like we like that integrative approach too. Yeah. So when they in or we're constantly talking with their doctor or their therapist and seeing like, are you guys seeing gains? Where are we seeing where we need to focus a little bit more on? Um, so I would hope that like when you're, they're looking for a PT too, that they're finding that same thing in other clinics as well. A hundred percent. And, and, um, yeah, that's that I that's such a good point because like even I know from my own journey like pelvic floor PT was so helpful, but I also was seeing other specialists. Like I did have gut issues and I was seeing yeah. a talk therapist and I was seeing an acupuncturist and obviously it's all so time consuming. 
um, and, you know, mentally consuming, energy consuming, financially consuming, the whole thing. But it is important to kind of figure out like where you can allocate certain resources and time to actually getting help from all of the people that that you need. And I do think that the the mental health is is an important part because like you could do a lot of physical work, but you're still going to have the fears and the anxieties and like figuring out a way to cope with that is a big part of it, which I'm sure you, you know. Yes, absolutely. Um, okay. So the next question is, and this is something else I saw you post about on Instagram, but I think this is so important and I want to hear you talk about why, like if there's a correlation between this and pelvic pain, but the importance of using organic period products. Oh my goodness. I know. I'm, I'm so passionate about this too, but, and I I mean, it just makes sense to me because I'm like, you just, why would you want toxic chemicals going into the most sensitive part of your body? But, um, I want to hear your take on this. Yeah. Um, this probably came to my attention, goodness, in 2014. Um, and I, like we knew what you, we were like talking to our patients so much then about what you put in your vagina, the mucosa absorbs it. And so we were really honing in on lubrications then. And back then 2014, there wasn't a lot of great options out there for even lube. Well, then we started thinking like, and thank goodness it like across, it started kind of coming out with PTs. Like, well, why didn't we, why don't we think about the other stuff we're putting inside? Like tampons, like we were putting fragranced tampons in our vagina and then feeling more cramping down there like there had to have been a correlation and then realizing like other countries in europe were using 100 percent organic tampons and nothing with the chemicals or even um, pesticides being used on the crop was huge that then those women were having less issues while using those products so then and then the menstrual cup i guess came to to light around that time too um I'm a huge, huge believer on that. Um, again, because what you put in does get absorbed. Um, we don't need fragrance in our vagina. Uh, it's It really doesn't smell until after it comes out and is in a trash can with oxygen, you know, for a certain time frame. Like that's when those products start to smell bad. Uh, we don't need that fragrance to keep it away from a bear, you know, when we're outside or anything. It really doesn't smell bad down there. Mm-hmm. And nor do we put fragrance in our mouth. So we don't need to put it in our vagina and absorb it into our body. It's just chemicals that were not needed. We we know how we eat can affect the pelvic floor and affect muscles, right? And we tend, we started all, everybody kind of jumping on this like non-toxic um, cleaning products, eating more whole um, whole foods, but then we were still putting crappy tampons down there like we were shoving Skittles up our vagina and it just didn't make sense. So it, I think a lot of patients have even come in and said, well, finally, once I started to switch my products, like I noticed less cramping and symptoms during that time frame um, during their, their bleeding. So I... Yeah, I'm a huge, huge proponent of organic tampons. Wow, that's so interesting to hear. I mean, it makes 100% sense. Like, it's just bad for your body. Your body would obviously have a physical reaction, not in everyone, but in some people for sure. Um, Mm -hmm. I think it's so important. So I'm glad that we touched upon that. And then a few more quick things I want to talk about. One of them is 
the fact that you are so able and you do it so well to talk about intimate personal things on social media which is obviously hard to do and I think takes a lot of practice like you have to keep (laughs) doing it just to feel more and more comfortable and to finally be like oh okay people actually really like this I like it and I'm helping people but how did you get to that place are there any things that like specifically that helped you to become open and vulnerable on Instagram? Yeah, um, I guess when (laughs) I first started out with trying to talk about it was before Instagram was around. Um, And so I was doing this on my Facebook and getting like hate messages. I'm like, why would you talk about this on social media? And so I would delete it. And my husband would be like, Amanda, like you're not going to help anybody if you keep deleting these messages just because, you know, a few people that don't like it are, you know, reaching out. But you do, you remember the negative stuff. And so then when Instagram came around, I thought, well, I'm opening my business. So it was probably like four years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I need to educate so then I can get people in the doors. And then realizing like, well, gosh, if I can just kind of tell my story through my lens on what I'm feeling or how we treat people, um, maybe this will go over well. And I, anytime we ever do like a community talk or on Zoom even, I like to keep it lighthearted and get people to chuckle a little bit to kind of get out of that like fearful frozen mode of like just to make them feel more ease and let them know like, hey, like you're not the only one living with this issue. There's multiple of us out here. And now statistically for especially for pelvic pain, that statistic used to be one in seven women. We now know it's one in two in their lifespan will experience pelvic pain. That's huge. That's a huge number. Wow. Um, So even to just educate for those people so that when, if they start to experience those symptoms, like when they're going through menopause or postpartum or, you know, at some time in in their lifespan that they can be recognized like, oh yeah, uh, this empower your pelvis lady was talking about it. I'm going to go check out her page and see if I can get some help with it or at least steer me in the right direction. And that's what we've been seeing. So I think social media has been so helpful in helping people find what to do with their symptoms or make them feel um, less shame, less guilt, less frustration, um, and starting to tackle their own pelvic pelvic journey, mm-hmm. which has been fun. I love receiving messages about that, even I, if it's a squatty potty. Like yeah. People are like, thank goodness I had a you know a better poop because I had a squatty potty. I'm like, hallelujah. <laughs> no, I completely agree. And it, I think that when you get messages like that, it does emphasize how great of a need there is to talk about these kinds of things on on social media like it is where people get the majority of their information these days so you know Mm -hmm. it's public but it's also really important and i think that it does resonate with so many people and i guess to give them hope too like i guess like i am pain-free with sex now like i in the past i really struggled with finding that um like giving people hope that you can be too. And I'm not mm-hmm. going to say that I'm not going to veer off of that pain-free sex. You know, I'm sure I will go back because um, that's just how my muscles tend to go. Um, but I know I have the tools to keep me on track and yeah. I just have to focus with it and hope, hoping that, you know, if they can find with the consistency and patience that and with PT and the other things that can help out there that they can see, you know, a different, a different light on it too. Mm-hmm. So true. Okay, so if you had to share one of the most valuable lessons you've learned throughout your own journey, what would it be? 
self-care. Yeah. <laughs> That's probably my, because I am, again, a go-go personality. And so my to-do list, I feel like I always have to chop everything off of it. And when I do that, or I'm taking care of the family or taking care of the business, I put myself on the back burner. Mm-hmm. And that's when my symptoms start to creep back in. Mm-hmm. And I've learned, you know, I might just need a little bath time or a little breathing time, something for myself, um, which I guess that's when I started, I get up at the super early in the morning, um, 4 a.m. So oh I can God, have. I saw that. That's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> it's more, it's for this, this side of it. Like I need, I know I need alone time. I need to go work yeah. out. I need to have my stretching. I need to have my journaling. And if I can stay on top of that, my symptoms stay at bay. If I can, if I veer off of that and I'm not taking care of myself, then they creep back in. Mm-hmm. So I have just learned like it, I, that's just what my body needs. It needs the self-care side of things. And it, it took a long time to figure that out. <laughs> but no, it's important. I, I agree. Like we all need that time for ourselves. So it's just a matter of figuring out where in the day we can allocate it and what, yeah. you know, what we need. But like, as you said, whether it's getting up early in the morning or going to sleep 20 minutes later so that you can do a meditation or take a bath or whatever it is, or even just telling everyone in your house, like, I need five minutes to be alone. Like, mm-hmm. it doesn't really matter how you get that time, but just getting it is so important. Yes. Are there any resources that you have to recommend, such as books or other podcasts or anything, really? Let me think. Um, resources, I would say for pelvic side of things like intimate rose i do love their products Mm -hmm. um so she's a great amanda olson is a great advocate there on the public health side of things and she's a public pt um gosh podcast really i'm just listening to a lot of like self-help yeah me too um, (laughs) right now (laughs) me Um, too like brene brown everybody listens i know no uh, she's so good i love her i actually (laughs) stopped recently but i should start again and then actually, if you have, there's one podcast that you might find interesting, um, but I also want to just share while we're talking about this with everyone listening, it's called Tell Me About Your Pain. It's Ooh. not about just pelvic pain. It's about kind of obviously all different types of pain, but it's with a therapist and a neuroscientist. And they talk about um, like different therapy techniques for chronic pain. It's so interesting and it's these two men who are you know the co-hosts and they're funny and they just like you laugh and they bring on patients and they walk them through certain exercises it's I'm obsessed so I just had to share that (laughs) thank you yeah but anyways where can everyone contact you learn more about you and your practice share everything we our website is empoweryourpelvis.com we're on instagram at empower.your.pelvis um and then yeah you can always send a direct message on there our wednesdays are wellness wednesdays you can ask any question and then we try to hit them throughout the week as well amazing thank you so much for being here this was so interesting and i think that everyone yeah of course i can't wait for everyone to hear this so thank you thank you This podcast is for educational purposes only. It does not constitute the practice of medicine, nursing, or other healthcare professional services, including the giving of medical advice. During the episodes, no doctor-patient relationship is formed. 
The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Listeners should seek the assistance of their healthcare provider for any concerns or questions they have.